give me a home where the buffalo roam, where the deer and the antelope play, where seldom is heard a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day. Everyone now. Home, home on the range Where the deer and rabbits are Oh, guess not Can we get started? Traditions And the skies are not cloudy all day Never cloudy in the world of liberty Next time, let's use the lyrics so we, so we nail it. Spotify I was altering the lyrics. That. I was altering All right, guys. Welcome, everybody, to episode 81 of the Light Shed podcast. A very discombobulated Brandon Ross, Rich Greenfield, and Walt Pysik. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, home on the Liberty Range this week. Big week, Roblox, Liberty, lots of investor meetings. I think Qualcomm was this week or was it last week? I can't even remember. It's all a blur. Well, it's almost Thanksgiving at least. Rich, you went to Liberty. Brandon, you were all over the world this week. I think you're yeah. currently in Mexico City dealing I'm with I'm not Colorado. in Mexico City. <laughs> oh, wherever. Mexico, I'm in somewhere. Another area of Mexico. I'm about to, tonight, I'm going to walk my friend down the aisle for her wedding. That's brilliant. So, so that's pretty exciting. Still have not written work on that at some point. And Rich, you were in LA before that for Roblox, and we'll get to that later. And Rich was, um, you went I was to holding the, down the ranch. I was, were, I was, I was holding down the ranch. I was, I was in Palo Alto. Uh, whatever. California, LA, <laughs> Mexico City, Playa Carmen. It's all the same. You you know, I, I get the general region right. <laughs> This is what happens when you haven't left your house in fucking two years. So, Rich, um, you were tweeting about how great it was to have an in-person meeting. Was, in fact, everyone there? Because you showed a picture and, and um, Dr. Malone hey, I don't was, in even fact, understand. on the screen. No, John Malone was not there, unfortunately. <laughs> what was, what was the point to going to that meeting in person if, like, most management wasn't there in person? And when they took questions... They were like pre-submitted and they just read the questions Look, as th- if they didn't know what questions were coming. It kind of took the thunder out of the day. No. Look, it was it, it's becomes and even a lot during the day, a lot of it was videos that were playing rather than, you know, live actual presentations. Like sometimes it was just literally video clips playing. So, like, look, at the end of the day, it, it was nice to get together with other investors. It was nice to see some of the management team. It was, like, nice to see Greg Maffei in person. But I, I would also say we're clearly not back to, quote, unquote, normal um, investor events. I mean, it, it is definitely um, odd. This, uh, Rich, I think the bar, um, after what I went through, kind of like traveling this week, it's going to be a lot higher to do in-person stuff. The airports and the airlines are flat out completely fucked up right now. I mean, it took me three, literally, I was on three different planes to fly to San Francisco on Monday. 
wound up being there oh, 12 hours later than than I was supposed my, my to. Back There's labor Vegas shortages. It's horrible. I mean, my flights to, you were to, lucky. to and from Vegas were good. There was a shortage maybe in the food that they had available on the flight, but it was fine. Sometimes uh, bad travel experiences happen, and hopefully not too often. I, I do think that we're all a little more on edge about all of these things just because we haven't done it in so long. So it does amplify sort of how much you hate travel disruptions when you haven't done it in a while. But And Brandon... But look, this is like when you travel so much, it's like sitting at a slot machine at, over, at some point. No, I understand. You're lose all your money. If you travel that much, you're going to run into problems. Well, look, we've been debating hosting our party, uh, our event at CES. And, you know, I'm getting a lot of people who are, there's a bunch that are going. There's a lot that aren't, though, that would always be regulars. And then there's a huge group of people that say, I have a room booked. I'm 50 50. I'm not sure. So, like, there's a lot of people that are just, you know, unsure of whether they want to be in group settings right now. And I think that is still, you know, it's still a fact of life. Well, there's, there's also a little bit of prisoner's dilemma around it. It's like, well, is everyone else going or not? Because I don't want to deal with taking the flight in a labor shortage environment where, by the way, I don't know if you guys knew this, but someone at United told me this when I was bitching, you know, um, about my flight that, this was two or three weeks ago that Newark, as of November 1st, went to 25% greater flights in and out than they were in 2019, really? despite the fact that there is less labor. So may, this could be a very Newark-specific situation because of that, um, but that's what we're dealing with. So before we hit our first slide, let me just point out that Everything we just talked about has nothing to do with why you would not take live questions at an investor day. It's <laughs> part of the value of going to an investor day. It has nothing yeah, it, to do with it at all. It was it was very strange to have to submit. And they actually, it was, I would I I, sh I should have tweeted this. There was one other element of it that was interesting. Not only did they not take live questions, but on the submitted questions, they didn't say who they were from. Oh, I know that them. hurt you, Rich. Yeah, I don't care about <laughs> that. The question is, like, but the point is, you can't do a follow up like with live questions. I and mean, look, some analysts obviously are so weak that they never ask a follow up. There was a specific questioner to AT and T this week that was pulling my hair out why he was not asking a follow up. Um, but in this case, like this is it's just a crazy thing to do for. An, so you should you should have tweeted about that, and not just that. But let's go on to the first slide since we're on. I do want to say though, at yes. Roblox. It was hybrid and they took questions in two ways. One is, you know, all the management was out there. They took, you went up to the mic, you asked question. There was no restrictions at all. And then when that was all done, people were submitting questions in through Zoom and they asked every single one of the questions that came Wait, wait, in. so hold on. They didn't call on people. Whoever got to the mic first got to ask That's a question. Right. That's, That's right. awesome. That's awesome. Yep. So there was no way to screen for people that they didn't want to ask a question. Yeah. I thought the way that the Roblox analyst day was handled for the most part was, was fantastic. Okay. How did that stock perform after compared to how the Liberty stock? <laughs> I mean, right. so, so controlling you're, your mixing, you're mixing Apple. I mean, you, that's not a no, fair comparison considering fair. Still, what like, Roblox is doing right now. <laughs> but come on. Uh, we will never, for those companies and IR people that are listening, 
we will not relent on this topic, but we'll only get louder. If you're going to continue to try and control your messages, you're just putting a target on yourself. So, so go and for again, it. you get a good, a positive check mark and an X for Courtney. Sorry, Courtney. We still like you. All right, move on. Okay, let's go to ad-supported SVOD. We got Dr. John Malone, who was interviewed by David Faber on CNBC, and we pulled out a couple of clips. We have one on, I shouldn't even just call it SVOD. I'll play it in a second, but we've got one on Charter and one on SVOD, and I thought both of them were fascinating. And the, the first one is particularly interesting because Discovery Plus is being obviously merged in, or Discovery is being merged with Warner Media, And so this is Malone opining on the sort of streaming wars, as we like to call it, and what's going to happen. So let's listen to this clip from Malone. And you seem to be of the belief that one size doesn't necessarily fit all for these kinds of offerings. Totally. I'm totally on that page because I think, uh, you know, trying to satisfy every taste and every interest uh, in one omnibus offering is going to turn out to be uh, unprofitable. I don't think that uh, that going 100% consumer or subscriber paid as a model uh, is going to leave an awful lot of people on the sidelines who would be content with something that was less expensive or free, but much more ad supported. Okay, so let's just no, no, let's just stop. No, no, but let's just stop. This is the guy, the pioneer of the entire U.S. cable industry, which is a effectively a eighty to hundred dollar a month product subscription price, and has a little bit of something for everybody. And he is saying that a streaming service should be niche or free and ad supported, or heavily discounted with ads. So that it can actually get reach, but yet he reached a hundred million people. As an, as an, all right. First of all, a couple of things here, Rich. That's as an addendum to SVOD. He's saying one size doesn't fit all. And then, secondly, I think he he's a very very smart guy, Rich. He, he's yeah. um, alone. He understands and- that the cable, you know, the MVPD business is in, as you like to say, secular decline. Sure. And we're moving on to the next thing. And his I mean, prescription he, is a mixture of SVOD and AVOD. Just think of him on this ranch digging for oil. He's selling the oil and the digging product that he has. Oil. And this, I mean, he put together the industry because that's what he had. And that's what he was selling before. And obviously the industry's changed. He's got a right to change his opinion on something. No, and it's I, fine I, for you to point it out that it's different. Right. But like, look, Ergen, if you, you go back to Ergen, like he was more vocal about this when he was buying Spectrum ori- originally. He was like, This is a shit business that I'm in. And like, and now on every conference call, he reminds people, I told you it was a shit business 10 years ago, but at least that's going to help us fund our new, our new endeavor. So it's fine for Malone to say this. And by and the just- way, like Dish was a sick business in the world of limited video, sure. free broadband, right? It's things evolve and you know, yeah. we need to be intellectually honest. And also remember, he wasn't, I mean, in the books that I've read, I mean, this is an M&A guy as well, right? It's not like he was like cr- crafting how the product was going to get put together. He was fucking 
mashing shit together and doing it in a tax efficient way. Yeah. Look, I guess the question becomes on the range, on the range, when you stick ads into content and you make it cheaper, does that impact viewership? Like, do, do you end up getting lost in that funnel well, or you do have, ads reduce you have, viewership? That's really the you, question. You have both, right? Um, you, you have SVOD services with no ads and you have AVOD with ads. And, you know, both, they can work simultaneously, I think. Well, AVOD works for YouTube because it, the cost of the content is zero, right? They right. don't actually pay for the content. There isn't a, you know, Hulu is the largest AVOD or hybrid AVOD service that exists. Um, and it is not profitable. And it actually, from a streaming time spent, is relatively small uh, versus the non-ad supported services. So we'll see. I just think it's going to be interesting. Certain and markets, it, though, Rich, it's, they're going to have to be AVOD. Uh, maybe. I mean, you're, you're talking things like India, potentially, for sure. Depending on wallet, right? Yeah. Um, cost of content creation, though, is a lot lower in a lot of those places, too. So I don't know if that's entirely true. I guess we'll see. Um, but look, I think the reason I thought I called it out is, in addition, is it's interesting because I think it certainly gives you sort of a tell of like what the Warner Brothers, sorry, I did it wrong, Walt, what the Warner Bros. discovery strategy is going to be, is clearly going to be not trying to be everything. And they're clearly going into advertising in a bigger way. And that is clearly going to be a big push of the combined, you know, the new HBO Max, whatever it's called, it does feel like advertising is going to be a very big focus for that new company. Because John obviously has as his ear is, is your point. That was what I was getting at. Sorry. Of I mean, so everything and just Marvel and Star Wars, there's somewhere in between, right? You, you might not need everything, but you might need some additional diversity of content. Look, Disney's struggling. I mean, the stock has gone from 180 to 150 because people are really starting to worry that Disney Plus is not broad enough. And, you know, to your it's point, not, like, also that, you know, it's not. Talks, I mean, we we said that two years ago. They didn't want to listen, though. No, I know. So like the question <laughs> is, is like, how broad do you have to be? And yeah, we're, we're going to see. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, broader is probably important and, I, and probably more important than they realize. Just like in the cable bundle, we would always sort of laugh at there was channels in that cable bundle that you laughed at. Like, why are they there? Because there's somebody where that incremental channel has real value and it sucks you in to paying for that big bundle. And so that's why there's so much stuff on Netflix. It's why, you know, that's how bundle, that's how bundle economics work. A Sirius XM is the best example of that, right? Why do I subscribe to Sirius XM? So, because there's the dead and the fish channel. That's it. I don't listen to anything else. But that, but that's the irony of this whole discussion, Brandon. The guy who basically built the bundle is telling you maybe the bundle is not the future. It needs to be niche. But bundles are built on bundling. Like that's the whole point of bundles. And so right. that's why it's so interesting. But let's move on to Charter because he's also got some interesting comments that I know is going to spark Walter to be intrigued. Um, Notice, I mean, Charter's down, what, 10, 12% from their high? Yes. Um, yes. I believe. 
Uh, yeah, look, the market is not irrational to be concerned about the impact of increasing competition in, in, in this uh, connectivity industry. That's irrational. Right. Uh, discounting, I think, uh, you know, it, it remains to be seen how, you know, how it will play out. I'm looking, charter is still up 3% on the year, so we'll see. 15% there's some intellectual honesty there again from Malone. Yeah, right? I mean, we covered this Talking last week. against his book. We covered this last week. It's just, you know, once again, kind of, uh, you know, I kind of played it up. It's startling that the, but like, look, you know, Again, things change, and he recognizes them. So it's funny that we get the patriarch of all of liberty saying this, and yet, you know, people within charter like say, what do you mean competition, wireless or, you know, fiber, this like that, that we get attacked, um, you know, by by um, whatever, our, our views on what's happening in cable, which, by the way, are now really not even that unique. We've been talking about this on the podcast for a while, and now you've got a bunch of analysts downgrading these stocks, recognizing that competition is coming from all different angles. I, I thought an interesting Kayvon, by the way, this week tweeted a picture of uh, him using a Starlink dish and posting yeah. uplink that's better than the, any uplink that Rich has ever had on cable until they finally took fiber to his house. Well, I mean, good luck with just, those high splits. Could we just, I mean, can we just. You had to do this, Walt. You had to get me bent out of shape on upstream. So, of course, yesterday, no, 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 because I'm sitting there yesterday at this at this Liberty presentation, and I forget the name of the executive. I'm bad at this, but the the head of the GCI, which is the Alaskan Cable Company, gets up and he's talking about the rollout to rural Alaska of two gigabit broadband. And all I could think about is I can't get 25 megs megs upstream in Manhattan. But I can get two gigs in rural Alaska. How about the fact that he said that Alaska is getting $10 billion of basically uh, government <laughs> incentives for a 40 or $50 billion economy? Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, we're worried about getting farmers and Alaskans like the internet. Well, people can't even get fucking five megabits of uplink. So, right. And I by the way, Charter, because I know you're listening, anytime you want to do a light shed live with an engineer that wants to go through the high splits, uh, and that they, they're actually subject to follow-up questions as opposed to engineer questions that you know ahead of time. We're happy to host anyone from Charter in the engineering side. They'll, that they'll never do it. And I'll go further. I'll go further. I want to know when the high split is going to be available in Manhattan. When am I going to get more than 25 upstream in New York? We'll, we'll take that from Comcast as well for those of our Comcast listeners. Light Shed Live will open it up to the entire industry, and you can tell everyone how the high splits are going to solve everything for the next decade. Uh, Walt, you want to talk a little FCC because I think it ties into sort of this. Well, yeah, it's just a, you know, discussion. so Rosenworcel's hearing was very tame. I thought didn't even really address the the C band stuff as a, as aggressively as I thought might happen. So it sounds like she'll just get confirmed. But the interesting one though is. You know, they're they're putting Gigi Sohn on the agenda, and there has been some kind of clamoring that maybe the Republicans or others were going to try and um, squash Sohn from getting confirmed. And this theory that she's like some like crazy progressive, whatever, which is, in our view, not the case. We've known Sohn for a very long time, 20 years, very thoughtful. Um, obviously, you know, we don't necessarily share all her views on many, many things, but it takes a thoughtful point. Of all this is like, I don't know. I think it sounds it sounds like 
you know, if they keep on a reasonable time frame, that you have sewn in there. So then the question is, how does sewn work with Rosenworcel and net neutrality? And like, does price regulation come back in? I still think that um, with a Rosenworcel led FCC, even with sewn in the mix, that the odds of price regulation um, as part of net neutrality um, is is unlikely. Um, I think, you know, you would have had to have a much different type of FCC makeup for that to happen. But point is here, if consensus view right now is that Sone may not be in or is going to take till the end of 22, I'll take the other side of that trade and and, and say that Sone's getting confirmed. But the issue is the longer Sone is not confirmed, just to be clear, the more paralysis happens at the FCC from a 2-2 standpoint. So there is zero threat to a charter or a Comcast or an AT&T of price regulation. Even if it doesn't happen, ultimately, a 2-2 is a complete stalemate. That's true. So that that will be the um, attempt to uh, minimum delay this. Um, The problem then is you delay it long enough, you get to the midterms, then it becomes a real problem. So clearly, the Dems need to get this done sooner rather than later because... I don't know. The outlook for midterms doesn't look too good at the moment for them. Um, anyway, next. So, so Brandon, we've talked about um, Activision for yep. I think the last couple of months, but I guess what was seen as sort of a, a an think, issue I, now is becoming more existential. Is that? No, I, I mean, look, lay out the lay, we, What do you think? Look, we have not really on this podcast discussed the inclusivity and. Um, sexual harassment issues that have gone on at Activision Blizzard. Um, just not a topic that we're typically going to discuss on the podcast. However, this has clearly reached a breaking point. Um, the uh, I'll read the Polygon tweet first. Call of Duty studio head is out at Treyarch amid new reporting on sexual harassment claims at Activision. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal that detailed how um, Bobby Kotick knew about certain events that happened and didn't pass on um, the information to the board. Um, and now like you have employees who are protesting and wanting to walk out. This is a, you know, a, a creative and intellectual capital business where you need employees to create all of these experiences, um, all of these games, and you're losing employees. Now, like I think the ultimate is that both um, Sony and Microsoft are reevaluating their relationships uh, with Activision. I'll read this, this from Jason Schreier. Breaking Xbox boss Phil Spencer, who, by the way, is extremely well respected, right, has joined the chorus of industry professionals criticizing Activision Blizzard, telling staff in an email obtained by Bloomberg that Xbox is, quote, evaluating all aspects of our relationship, end quote, with the embattled publisher. I mean, look, this is literally an existential threat to your business at this point. I don't know, you know, the details. We haven't done our own research, but it seems like it's probably time for Bobby to wave the white flag. But let's just be clear what this all means. If if all of a sudden Xbox and PlayStation would not allow the downloading or playing of Activision games, I mean, that's a 
Where's the board? Where is the board in all of this? The board, the board came back and protected Bobby. Okay, but okay. now this so is that, new information. And then this Even was the this? this no this was the response to the board coming back and protecting Bobby. That in my mind, this is going one place. I'd be, I mean, well, who's on I'd the board? Sh- you should write a letter to them. I did that back in the day with Sprint when Gary Forsey was there, being like, "What are you doing with this? With this per like, what is at what point does there have to be change at this company?" Then it's a question of who is the right person to come in um, to that can really change the culture. Someone very smart in this business suggested to me, um, Peter Moore, um, you know, just you because he's someone who can really there's one rally guy the troops. Call. John, John Ledger. Ledger. <laughs> yeah. No, and look, there's a lot of people we know on this board, Brandon. I mean, Casey Wasserman's on the board. Don Ostroff from, um, from Spotify is on the board. Uh, Bob Morgado, who was, you know, longtime Warner Music and, uh, you know, in the Time Warner family and even Barry Meyer, who ran Warner Brothers back in the day. So, like, you have a high power sort of entertainment media group on the board of Activision. Um, I could see any of those people also stepping in, at least as a a stopgap. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And by the way, moving on from there. Maybe the right thing at this point is to just break this company up. I'm serious. You have Activision to help him save face. You have Activision, Blizzard, right, um, and King. King. They they would all be extremely strategic assets for other players, probably even more so separate than apart. And they can save face. Like, oh, by the way, and he's not going to be a part of any of these three companies. He'll oversee it. He'll be the transition administrator. <laughs> I don't think he would be. I, mean, I know, it's a, but it's it's a very sad situation. That's all I, I can uh, say but about it, it. But but the key point is something's got to happen in the next something, couple of weeks. Yes. This can't this I mean, can't this just is reaching, I, I I don't think this is like groundbreaking for us to say this. It's, well, it's the, quite there, obvious there is, there is that this is at a breaking point. For thanks <laughs> Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I mean, we got some good holiday dead news days coming up that they can dump this into. You know, D- Disney always files their 10K on the Friday evening of Thanksgiving. So weird. <laughs> All right, next. Favorite. Yeah, hold on. Um, so we have been openly critical for a long time of the Netflix two-minute viewership metric as sort of a... You haven't, you know, Rich. I have. I, you, you, you talk you, you are very positive about Netflix. Then I t- usually salt you and say like, oh, those two minute <laughs> stats, because you will go off and say, oh, this was the best thing, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, based on a two minute thing. So go right. on. And, and, and they've said from the very beginning that two minutes is a very good approximation for what actually happens. Mm-hmm. But now it's ridiculous. Now it's irrelevant because now they are literally on a weekly basis publishing by country though sorry by uh, from a global basis they are publishing the global watch time for their series in each category so movies tv international tv basically giving you all the data and so there's no more debate over is something actually being watched you know exactly what is being watched the size of things and like we you know did we know squid games was huge for sure what we didn't know is that, you know, assuming like somebody two billion hours or something insane. Well, what what's crazy is two point one 
um, billion hours of Squid Games watched. But what's what's sort of staggering about it is that when you think about um, subscriber households, that when you put all of the data together, that it's something like 258 million households have watched the entire series. It's sort of what that math works out to based on the runtime. And Netflix only has 213 million subscribers. And so whether it's repeat viewership, different people in the household separately watching the entire series, but that's in 60 days. Password sharing. Sure, it's not password sharing, password. Brandon. I have like five different accounts, like just family accounts. So if our kids sure. are now distributed in, in different locations, so they're just watching right. either whether in the house or out. <laughs> um, they're just watching it separately. Right. So you I, have I some have people a, that watch it together, and then you have incremental accounts right. that are watching it on top of that. Sure. The reach is just insane relative. But forgetting about the reach, what's what, what, what the takeaway from this is, is why are they doing it? Because Netflix doesn't do anything just for the hell of it. They're not doing it. Um, they're doing so it. The I think for, th- there's only one reason Okay, is that they know that everybody else has nothing even close. And so I yep. think they wanted to show that something like squid games can be this big. It's so uh, the multiples versus everybody else. Like you can't get Disney plus to put these metrics out yeah. because there is no viewership of these shows that are coming out. Maybe and Mandalorian like people, has some decent viewership, but the next show down doesn't. People criticize the two second um, thing. Sure. And they're like, okay, you you don't, you think we're trying to hide something? Well, here you go. We're not. <laughs> it's like playing a spade in <laughs> we'll harsh. You're we'll trying to blow you away. <laughs> yeah. And, Rich, there has been some speculation um, that maybe you can address that this was a precursor to them doing advertising. So, yeah. So I, I look, I look, I think it's easy to say, Oh my God, they're publishing their viewership stats. Let's turn the viewership stats and we'll start selling ads against it. Sure. You, you can take that impression. Uh, I think it, it is pretty clear that they believe internally that their greatest advantage is not having ads and that by now having the ability to overpay people or pay people top dollar, and now to get you visibility in front of you know 258 million people in 60 days, or two, and probably it's probably 500 million people, not in in those 258 million households. So half a billion people have seen a Korean TV series, the entire series in 60 yeah. days, right? At least half a billion people. That is such a powerful magnet to talent. I think this is just about distancing themselves and telling talent, hey, you don't want to go anywhere else. There is no, you, you want to be seen and paid, you come here. I think it's interesting. Um, the star of Squid Game, I think was doing, he had already got some like fashion endorsement deal. Like he's going to be the face of a brand. I forget which one it is, sorry. But being that high profile, having that type of global reach for a star is yeah. invaluable. Even if even if Netflix paid less, which they pay top dollar, that type of reach is invaluable to someone's career. Speaks we to talk- the, the, the discussion we had last week about being on the big screen versus, you know, being on a streaming service and the value to the to the talent. Yep. yep. Exactly. Walter. I've got two. 
so I've got two, two, are you done, Rich? Because I have two observations. Yep. First of all, uh, to our um, content creators out there that are listeners, put an end credit and then you'll increase your stats in terms of time spent on your, on your product. So that'll help your stats. There's a end credits are great. Um, second thing is, you know, I've watched Dune and Dune was phenomenal. Um, on and, HBO Max, to be clear. Yeah. And I will see it, I think, in the theater next because it was just so good that the, the, the for me, the music. But one, one of the things that I noticed when, when I watched with my son and wife, um, there's a lot of portions in that where you could have easily broken it as an episode. Like, oh, that's an end of episode. That's an end of. And the Dune, I mean, Dune to me can be like one of those franchises. It's fascinating that, like, even a product like Dune, I can envision it being better as an episodic thing on a streaming service like Game of Thrones, where they give us an hour a week and this is the half, the first half of the first book of Dune. And the quality is, is maybe even better than some of the Game of Thrones stuff, but, but still, like, I don't know, like, I just view content differently. So, this concept of theater versus streaming, which we had this big debate on Twitter last week with one of your trolls and one of my friends, one, I wouldn't say friend, David Poland, but um, about you know, Dennis Villanueva. But, about but Walt, the, about right. theaters, but no, but right, but Walt, you're right. I mean, the observation is excellent because when Squid Game was originally pitching itself um, and sold to Netflix, it was sold as a movie. It was a movie, and then they realized that there was much more material and would be better off as a series. And I think, you know, there's a lot of content in the storytelling you can do, uh, especially when you don't need weekly cliffhangers and you can just sort of tell stories. There's a lot of it. And I think it's one of the big problems the movie industry has is that the storytelling that's happening in episodic television is just incredible. And I think that observation, it wouldn't shock me. And the character they, development that you can garner over a several hour period. Would there, you could easily have, it, 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 I can just totally see that as like a Marvel type of universe that they can create out of Dune. And they just do the books and then do the spin outs. And like, so I think that whatever. David Zaslov, are you listening? Are you listening? This is your opportunity. Senator, you're going to have to clip this and then put this on the Twitter. And then okay. we'll get we, we can do that. Okay. Um, the only other thing I wanted to add to this is just Paramount released their statistic. They added 1 million subscribers in the last week. And the reason it's interesting is they went out and they made Clifford the Big Red Dog available day and date. They had a new series from the creator of Yellowstone um, as Kingston or Kingstown, whatever. Um, they put original content and fresh movies directly onto the service, sort of that whole debate about the collective and all of that crap we were talking about last week. But when you leaned in and you actually put lots of content, what happens? You drive subs. And that's why when you say, had they had a million subs, it's because they had the content. And I just think this is the takeaway that if you want to drive subs, take all of your best resources and put them on streaming. It actually works. Yes, Netflix is at the pinnacle of that, but all of these companies can do it. It's just a matter of, we had this debate of Disney. Disney has lots of content. Eternals would not be a bad movie if it was on Disney Plus for free. It's a bad yeah. movie because- uh, It would be a bad movie wherever it was. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Eternals sucked. <laughs> but don't you think it was worse paying $17? Well, you're, 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 awesome, that's a different thing. Sucks. The, the yeah. movie sucks, but yeah. you'll, you're a little less upset about it if you don't make the effort to go to the theater and spend no, the No, I think everyone's upset dollars. if someone wastes their time. Like, everyone's been telling me to go see this. You referenced Yellowstone. Like, everyone loves Yellowstone. I've watched the first 
three episodes. I think it's terrible and cliche and predictable. <laughs> it does fit very nicely t- with your background, though. It fits very nicely with your background. Well, that's today. Montana. So, yeah, I guess it's close and enough, it's, right? I mean, it's all in the... You do, you do realize, Mr. Pisic, that part of Yellowstone, Yellowstone yeah, is I know, but not at this ranch, it isn't. <laughs> not on Malone's ranch. Ra- no, Malone's no, no. He's, he's probably. Think, while he's the largest landowner in the United States, I do not believe that he owns He, he owns it in a I national park. <laughs> I could be wrong. Well, he buys shit and then makes it a national park. So, oh, you know, on the range. range. All right, what's next, Rich? We have uh, virtual parks. Oh, from um, Yellowstone to the metaverse. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, Brent, you want to tease we, up the video? Yeah, well, a couple of things, right? Um, we have two things here. I'm going to read the first one, which is just purely textual um, from Joe Pompliano, which is Nike has teamed up with Roblox to create a virtual world called Nike Land. It will be free for now, but users will eventually be able to pay for products and dress up their avatars in Nike branded sneakers and apparel. Every major brand will eventually do this. And I can't agree anymore uh, with, with Joe's conclusion here. We saw what happened with Gucci Garden and we've seen what happened um, with with vans and the limited items that they put out um, into the world and Chipotle. Um, the, what about Chipotle? Yeah. Well, I, the whole I, thing I, crashed because I, of yes. Chipotle. Well, it didn't. First of all, but um, digital asset ownership and the avatar and using digital clothing to express identity is a trend that we're seeing in younger people right now, especially on Roblox. And it's going to become much more widespread as there's an age up in these metaverse type experiences, not only led by Roblox, but also what we're going to see coming from Epic um, in the relaunch of, for, of creative um, really creative 2.0 Valkyrie and even what um, what Zuck is doing um, at Meta. And then the second thing we have here is a demo of the advertising units that they're going to bring on to Roblox, which and are incredible. Let me just step in here for a second because, you know, the 30-second spot, there is still $65 billion of ads being spent on linear linear television. Sure, 20, 25 billion is for sports, and a lot of that's the NFL, which you know obviously is doing fine in the ratings, but there is $35, $40 billion that is clearly targeting essentially the same very old people every single day. There is no way to reach younger people. And what you're going to see now, I think this to me feels so different and unique, but let's, I'll play the clip. So what's there's next some description is uh, our futuristic vision of what immersive ads will look like. We have a demo. Can we play the video? Okay. So users in experience, there is a sponsored ads, immersive ads. By the way, this is why people need to watch the intrigue. podcast. 
Can you want to describe what's going on? Yeah, you're basically seeing so, Hamilton. You're seeing a Hamilton ad, like you would see the trailer is basically playing well, above it's, a theater. It's not Hamilton. It's Into the Heights. And, then, and there's, there's we're in the Heights. Oh, so you go into where the ad is playing, and then it yep. brings you into more stuff. Now the Avatar is inside in the in Washington Heights, which is where In the Heights took place. And back and forth between the experiences. As she just said, you can go back and forth um, into the experience um, and and out of the experience, and it looks literally exactly like Washington Heights looks. So, so wait, you have Roblox? a situation that was Roblox. So you have a situation where you're not just seeing an ad or watching a video. You have the ability to have a fully immersive experience with the brand. That is so much more valuable than just watching something fly by. Do you think they would, they would ever right. enable those content makers on the ad side to just, you know, this concept of like, there's not one metaverse and you're going to, you know, or maybe there is one metaverse and that, that when you walk, because presumably that yeah. ad was all designed within the Roblox engine. However you do, I'm, I'm probably using the wrong words. You but- no, you're exactly correct, Walt. Those, the tools that Roblox puts out there um, for brands and for studios, even UGC creators, to, to make that, that experience. And it's very seamless and fast because of the tools that Roblox gives them. Were they ever allowed? Do you think, do you see a future in which when you walk through that portal, you don't go into a world created with the Roblox tools, you go into a completely different, you know, software, whatever. This is... World. So you're talking about interoperability. Correct. And this was one of the more interesting things um, that I think came out of the Roblox Analyst Day. I wrote prior to um, the day that my belief is there's going to need to be interoperability between these platforms in order to like really reach the metaverse vision, especially because if people are buying assets, like you buy a like awesome like the Wotherspoon like nikes for your avatar and spend hundreds of dollars you want to be able to use that wherever you go what i got out of dave bizucki at the analyst day was they think they are gonna be the metaverse i don't think they think they need to be interoperable with any other platform now there's negatives of that it kind of reminds me a little of aol back in the day yep um number one but number two it's interesting because i think they think their ecosystem and their text their integrated tech stack is so good and they have the flywheel going that zuck isn't going to be able to displace them no matter how much money he spends my belief is if they if they have that attitude they will be a great amazing kids platform they will be the snap of web 3.0 which i think is going to be a much more valuable company than snap but if they want to be the like everything the mega platform the facebook what facebook was of web 2.0 there's going to have to probably figure out some level of interoperability right and if they don't someone else does and maybe they're their world itself yeah. is worse than Roblox, but if it offers better interoperability, maybe exactly that way. So now, so what I think is going to happen is there's going to be a consortium 
um, for interoperability in the metaverse. And I think it becomes prisoner's dilemma because if a bunch of the platforms play ball and yep. are willing to and work together one. and one doesn't, that one, no matter how good their stuff is, is, is probably going to be out. Yeah. Um, which, which, you know, Roblox, I, we, we think it, it could be a trillion dollar company. We keep it saying sounds that, to me like you believe this is that a long term call is interoperability is an. Yes. That's, that's my belief. I think that it's myopic to think that there aren't going to be other players that are meaningful and that consumers are going to want to be going from walled garden to wall garden. Well, that's what I was going to say. Wall garden, investing you haven't in covered identity. telecom for 20 years. This is like, the, this is the telecom yeah. concept of the wall garden that they continue to try and do in various forms. And it always fails. Now I had a conversation with the chief of staff about this and he's like, Oh, you don't think of people Roblox. are going to argue of Roblox. You're going to jump. And I'm like, listen, he's like, it's the switching costs are so low. And I was like, this is where you're wrong. The switching costs are going to be high because if you believe in the metaverse vision and that you're developing a digital identity, then wherever you spend the time to develop that identity, yep. you're going to want that identity up. to go everywhere. So yep. like their vision of like what the metaverse can yep. be and the positives is incongruent with right. their wanting right. to be such a closed platform. Right. Cause you're going to buy those sneakers there. You're building your life there. If this is one random door that that person happens to go through, don't give a fuck if it's not developed with the Roblox tools because it's adding to the value of the world that you're in. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, Ro what Roblox has built is incredible, but they're not going to be the only game in town. And and if you if you believe there's going to be a massive digital economy eventually, they'll be just fine, even if one day they have to become interoperable. The crazy thing is, though. Whenever people talk about video game and ads, it's like putting a little sign on the side of the wall that yep. you run by yeah. with a gun, right? Like, well, you see that been... in in two K, right? Right. I don't know. It's 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 all of this very simplistic, just like bat, like putting up a billboard in a game. This is so much more immersive and interactive and sort of experiential. Like, it's just it's a totally different thing, and it's always what brands want is where you actually interact with the content versus just see the content like in a traditional TV ad or a billboard. I look, I think this is going to be huge. I don't know how long it's going to take for brands to kind of because it obviously takes work it's on the brand. It's part. going to take time. I mean, think about when we wrote this, like the transition of brands going from TV, there's still right. $65 billion of, t of TV right. advertising to digital has even been difficult. Now you're going to an ad unit that is completely um, well, different. Well, speaking of rethinking or c competition for gaming engines, but also the work involved in creating experiences, let's go to the next slide and you can sort of walk us through what Epic is doing. Okay, so this is a tweet from Radiohead, one of our very, very favorite bands. No, yours, um, not ours. I like Radiohead. Yours. I wouldn't claim yours. It's one of my favorite bands. Yeah, They're yours. One song that I like, but okay. which song? You know, Creep. Song. Yeah. <laughs> Creep is amazing. Yeah, Creep is a great song. But this is um, so we discussed this on the podcast in the past. Radiohead. Um, 
put out their Kid A amnesiac sort of re-release for 20 years later. And what they did was they built an interactive experience um, where you could actually go inside the cover art um, for the album and or for the albums and all the art that was Stanley Donwood created for the inside jackets um, uh, of these albums in the um, in the epic game engine, the, the Unreal, Unreal Engine. engine. Rick, you can play um, this while he's narrating. Oh, yeah. Now, you're just going to hear again, if you don't watch our podcast and you only listen, besides seeing our beautiful faces, you're missing out on this. I'm not even sure exactly what we're looking at. It's it's a kind of a surreal artistic experience of showing different graphics in an I don't know. It, it feels like it's the opening to um, a Stranger Things episode. <laughs> I do feel like sort of LSD or something should be required hey, while watching this. <laughs> Sorry, it was just what made made me think about. It. <laughs> I mean, uh, look, maybe, perhaps there's some like minorly psychedelic elements to that particular experience. Maybe a little microdosing <laughs> to the experience. But but the point is, the you're putting tools of of creators and brands to build much deeper connections with their audience. And that is going to you you that's the type of thing that's being built on the Unreal Engine, which is different than Roblox and their tools and engine. And you'll see that type of thing in creative Fortnite Creative 2.0. But, um, but it also and, just shows, Brandon, how companies like Epic are so much more than just gaming platforms or gaming companies. They are essentially creating tools that publishers entertainment with mandalorian is made with the unreal engine like how content creators are using these gaming engines to create photo or you know sort of like these that's not necessary that one's not photorealistic no i know that's why i stopped myself but there's a new palette right and and you think about video and like all the there's like formats there's video there's music there's you know publishing websites static images gifs whatever gifs and now you have a whole new category of 3d interactive media which is going to be a big part of things and that's what we keep talking about when we talk about roblox and we we hate to use the word metaverse but these building blocks for metaverse so talking about metaverse well they didn't even call it metaverse they said the experience on their thing which i thought was kind of cool (laughs) but but we're gonna we're gonna stick with but we're gonna stick with the metaverse and we're gonna hop and teleport directly into the sports metaverse good job rich metaverse that is sinclair or at oh, least in Chris, Chris from Ripley's really interesting to, stuff to Sinclair. Well, because uh, Chris Ripley like just took the energy right out of me. Just the words. No, I know, I know. I know, I know. Walt, can you, can you, I, can you pick it up with a, a verse right now? <laughs> so, so what's interesting about this is two years ago, literally two years ago last week, um, Sinclair came out and said, "This is Chris Ripley's quote to Ryan Glass Spiegel." Ripley also commented on the dish carriage blackout of the RSNs, 
We view it as a temporary issue. Either we come to a deal with Dish or the relevance in the industry will be reduced over time. Who's Ripley? The, he is the CEO of Sinclair who bought oh. the RSNs and guaranteed they would get carriage on so Dish. basically dunking on him saying it was a temporary issue and now it's, it's not a temporary issue. And this week, Dish did a deal with Sinclair for their TV stations, as John mm-hmm. Oran reported. Not the RSNs. And the RSNs were not included in the transaction as everyone said they were going to be, or at least how Sinclair said they would be. And so, again, there is no word that it is officially not going to be carried again, but not part of the deal. Three years running, not carried by DISH. No signs that it will ever be carried again. And it just sort of you know raises the pressure. Really, the next person that everyone's eye should be targeted on is one company, um, we're going to go back to where we started this podcast. Tom Rutledge, your move. You're next. Mm. Charter has their deal up with Sinclair sometime in the first half of 2022. Does he want to pay for the RSNs or does he just want to carry the TV stations? We'll see. But I mean, I think I that's going to be the chance to come up with a with a strategy. Uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, they're obviously very negative. We didn't put the clip in on Malone. Well, but obviously, it was very negative. What do you think they're going to do, Rich? Let's cut to the chase. Are they going to? Are they going to? Greg has had very like good thoughts about how to fix the RSN problem in the past. By the way, look, Malone in that I didn't put it in the clips because it was just too many. Malone said he does not believe that the RSNs will basically be able to demand higher and higher fees. So oh, yeah, look, I think we're he is seeing we're leading. seeing that breaking point already. Obvious. No, so Nothing I'm saying obvious. he sort of is. I, I think Malone is leading the witness that you could maybe expect Charter to push back very, very hard. So we'll see. But if that gets dropped, look, Sinclair I mean, may have to file for bankruptcy on the Diamond Sports side before then. But certainly by this time next year, the RSNs should be in bankruptcy. That's my prediction. And that's um, our and that's our weekly RSN dumping. On the range. Speaking of sports rights, though, um, and a sport rights that are going the other direction from regional sports networks, which are struggling. Brandon Thurston, who is our he's our wrestling expert, isn't he? He Brandon? is our wrestling expert. We, 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 he, we're, he's like a super fan. He's also, also a, fan the, of the, the value he's also of the a wrestler himself, I believe. The, the annual contracts that end the one that ended in 16 was 83 million. The one that ended in 22 is 167 million. And the new one that just that was just um signed ticketed, signed, whatever. Thank you, Brandon, is 450 million, which is two seven X the, the prior one. The the second one was a double. First of all, thank you for respecting the high quality viewers of the EPL. It doesn't shock me in the least. And I've I've said this from the beginning. I, the only my only issue with the EPL is that I think they're doing this stupidly, and that they should split it up into multiple networks, like the NFL has done, to drive even greater viewership. So that's I I'm think sure they marketed it that way they, as a potential. Yeah, definitely. Okay. But did they got four hundred fifty million dollars a year? I understand. Is that. it's a big number, dude? And the quality of the product is so good that that number will continue to rise, even though we're stuck <laughs> with. Um, no offense, no offense to our friends at Comcast, but how you're dumping stuff on Peacock and NBC and USA, just do, just put it on one place, please, please. Oh, oh, um, Mark just said, did you even say where it was going? I think our, our viewers know that it's at NBC. So if our viewers didn't know this, sorry. Yes. It's NBC that paid this higher bill that they, they got the second one. The first one I think was with Fox, right? Rich. Um, I think that's there, what it was. 
Yeah, I have to go back and remember. The first contract, uh, I think, was at Fox because then when they went to NBC, I was upset because Martin Tyler right. didn't come over and we have to, but these Arlo White's fine. So this but new look, the, NBC but, but, up, but, the, up the ante. But look, this just shows you for these streaming services and legacy linear TV assets, they're trying to figure out nothing is working other than sports, competitions rising, and they will literally pay any price to keep competitors out and to protect their own business. And it puts the sports leagues in an incredible position, right? I mean, they're just printing money. Again, scary what all happens the sports leagues though, Rich? Is it all of them? Does I mean, this also... Hockey well, got a pretty big number. Hockey it, it, got a big number. Hockey, hockey did. I mean, the thing with hockey 2, 2. that you have X. to remember... Um, you have to remember with hockey, um, it was coming off a 10-year deal and you're talking about the average annual value here. Correct. So it was the number from five years ago, yep. um, first of all. Second of all, when that deal was cut, was right out of the lockout. Um, so it yep. was artificially low. But I think what Nick Khan has said about this, about there kind of being haves and have-nots still um, in sports and sports rights is, is going to be the case. Not everything is going to get you know, bananas numbers. Um, but, but the most important shit will. But ESPN build themselves as sort of the destination for sports, for, at, all sports, you know, for streaming yeah. sports. And they're doing a lot on soccer on ESPN plus, and they didn't win this contract. So it's interesting that that didn't think, happen. Well, there was some pretty smart it, people telling us that ESPN was going to win. So what happened? Did they just, they just get, they chickened out on the price. I mean, look, that is a big, I mean, the price expectation was 2x. It almost hit three. So it, clearly NBC went way higher to make sure they didn't lose. A couple of things to think about here. I'm just riffing, but um, ESPN seems their strategy seems to be to have a little bit in every sport. Right. So if you're a fan of baseball, football, basketball, da, 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 you, right. you need them not to necessarily double and triple down. Right. Your point is that if I'm a soccer sports, fan, they already have for, some, if soccer. I have to go to them for champions league, I'm still going to have ESPN. E exactly. No, I'm doing. Yeah, that's fair. Exactly. That point. seems to be their strategy. Number one. Number two is I think that NBCU, especially for Peacock thought they had to have this because when you start to think about, we go back to what we talked about, what a bundle is. It's a collection of niche audience. Is, right that's how you yep. get the broadest overall reach and i think they believe that soccer was an important niche audience for them just the same way that wrestling is and right this season has been phenomenal too in terms of some parity at the top where in prior seasons there's been some runaways at the top so yeah, i'm sure that the engagement that they're seeing is has been phenomenal for this and plus with fans back in the seats it makes watching these games so much better can i ask you a question walter How's Liverpool doing? They're doing very well this year. They're, you know, top of the table, not top, but in top four, but within striking distance. The big period is going into the holiday period. Tons of games, and that will separate the wheat from the chaff, as they say. <laughs> we're we're going to call an audible. Uh, we are. With an addition. Yes, we're calling an audible because some breaking Ooh. news just happened that we're going to uh -oh. include because it ties into this theme. Wait a minute, Rich. I don't like anything. I don't like breaking news. I need to be fully prepared, like Liberty. So you are not fully prepared. Topics. So Hulu Live hey. has just raised their price uh, by $5 from 65 to 70 That's not interesting and wouldn't make our podcast. 
What is interesting is they're now including wow. not just Hulu. They always included Hulu, the you know the subscription Hulu service. They're now throwing in for that extra five dollars. They're throwing in Disney Plus and ESPN Plus. So sort of a pretty that ballsy is, that move. Is, that's interesting. Uh, that's that smart. is interesting, right? That is um, smart. Your move, Dave Gandler at Fubo. I'm really waiting to see what the reaction to this <laughs> yeah. is at Fubo. I mean, this seems like just awesome for Fubo. Um, it does make you think, though. Like, does a YouTube TV turn around and say, "Hey, we need to include Netflix"? Or like, what are the other? It, are we moving into a place now? Because if you think about what wireless has done, think about what Walt's been talking about with wireless. They keep throwing in more and Dude, more. Everyone services. can't bundle the same fucking services. <laughs> over and over because otherwise it loses its appeal as an as a as I'm just a saying I sign up for Verizon wireless service I get the Disney bundle I sign up for Hulu live I get the Disney the same Disney yeah. bundle but if you like, already have Verizon I, then you're not going to care about the extra you know from Hulu da, 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 and it loses its value to Verizon so you, well, you got to think about so it that on, way. But, the, but the value to Verizon is less about churn and it's getting more printable revenue to you as the consumer, even though it's low margin, because a lot of that's passed through. Okay. So it's not necessarily. And then the benefit, obviously, to the to the um, to the streamer guys is like you're just less likely to churn on and off every three months. Right. So it's yeah. kind of a win win. Understood. But what I what I want to say is I think that the reason that they were able to do this, despite the fact that they had a biz dev deal with you know somebody else is because they own all the assets so that was like kind of a loophole they yep. do but here's what happens from our conversations with hulu in the past during football season you subscribe to the full hulu package the live tv when football season ends you downgrade just to hulu on demand you know the hulu streaming service you know just the sort of handmaid's tale and that type of stuff i'm wondering whether to walt's point now that you have Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, is that Stickiness more reason for to stick with the higher price for the full year rather yep. than just for half the yeah. year? Good strategy. And that might be the re right. So that might be yep. a really interesting way. And by the way, they know, it's they know the numbers. And like finally, you know, not to have my skeptic hat on, obviously, subs have been really stalling out. For Disney Plus, and this is a and way for Hulu. Hulu and Live Hulu. has been dead. This flat. is a way, and stock is in the shitter because of it. This is a way to goose the subs in the near term. So when they report earnings next, the subs yeah. look higher. I mean, I, I don't mean, know if it helps. I think it helps ESPN Plus more than it helps Disney Plus because my what, guess is what, whatever it is, it's incremental, and for they need subs right now because they say they're not expecting very many until the back half of the fiscal year. So the question is like, does the Hulu, getting back to Brandon's point, does the Hulu customer Hulu. Uh, who is are already a Verizon customer getting free D plus going to churn off of Hulu because their price went up or do they still have a choice of a lower package that you doesn't do not have D+? the price? You are right. now raising your price and you get right. this for free. So there's a segment of those customers that may already get it for free and they're like i'm paying more and you're telling me i'm getting d plus but i'm already getting d plus for free do i then do i then churn to another alternative to hulu um i mean you could although things like fubo are already 70 dollars, so they don't really save you any money i mean you could go to youtube tv for five dollars less but that'll probably go to 70 soon anyway because there's inflation on the cost structure 
The unbundling and the rebundling. Gotta yes, love it. All right, next slide. Exactly. Uh, so Twitter's got an, this is Josh Elman. Um, excited. So Josh, friend of the uh, friend of the shed, uh, Josh Elman, who's uh, over at Apple, tweets out Twitter API is back. Remember, Josh was an early Twitter employee. Bring on the innovation is the quote, and th- he's basically referencing the fact that there's a new launch Read of it. a new. Okay, today's API version two launch is the first step for us making this vision a reality. We see the future of Twitter as an ecosystem of developer built apps and services, all serving the public conversation, and so. Twitter really got out of the API game years ago. Yes, there's been one, but what is really now is think about all the different pieces of Twitter, whether it's spaces and they're doing so much more than just the core news feed. Now they're really opening up to developers all parts of Twitter to enable innovation. And I think that's what's going to be really interesting is sort of, you know, you've talked, I know, Brendan, a lot about Jack and sort of the decentralized web and everything that Jack is thinking about. To me, and what we heard is that Jack drove this. Like this was very much Jack leading the charge to yeah. bring Twitter and to really encourage innovation on the platform. And so I think this is going to be great for Twitter. I, I don't I've think it been, means anything to the stock honestly, today. Rich, I've been hoping for this, you know, for Twitter for a very, very long time. So this I, should be I, a meaningful catalyst. I know no investor is even going to understand what this means today because it doesn't mean anything today. But I think that what it has the potential to do over the next three years is very meaningful. Let's move on. Uh, Brandon, why don't you read this one? Actually, Walt, you're our TikTok expert. You read yeah. this one. Walt, you TikTok got this. Expert. This is from Sarah Fisher. TikTok is especially unique in minting its own stars who don't blow up on other platforms. And then it just lists the ones we all know. Um, do not rank in the top 50 of any other social media network. So basically saying like, hey, you know, Charlie's really big on TikTok. Is she big on YouTube? No. Um, does she even have a YouTube channel? I don't even she know. Does. But um, but yeah, interesting point. I'm not sure it's unique to TikTok. I think that's probably the I, case. I think that each of these kind of social networks, if you want to call them that anymore, um, have their own unique attributes that yep. make their creators good on that platform. And that star power is not necessarily transferable. That's all. Yeah, I just think also... I mean, the star... Pa- in- I shouldn't say that. The star power is because these stars start to transcend and there are other um, monetization opportunities for them. But the skill set is different to be a great Twitch creator. That's an extreme example right. well, Brandon, versus being were, a TikTok I think creator. This also, this also kind of goes into what you in the past specifically have talked about in terms of purpose-driven applications yep. as opposed to features. It's like, okay, you know, if I mean, the one I always think yeah, of is what's Clubhouse it, and, versus and we Spaces, always, right? So. We say this all the time, and it's like, it's we. I personally overuse it. What's the DNA of the platform? And yeah, like sure. when and when you look at your phone, what do you and you have all the choices in your yeah. operating system? What are you thinking about when you open Correct. each of these? Right. Apps? So for me, even in messaging, it works this way. For iMessage, I have my friends. For WhatsApp, I've got a different group of people. For Facebook, Us. I've got a different group. Yeah, or whatever it is. So <laughs> no, like, no, but I'll just yeah. But, but just think about it. We had Greg from, you know, Charlie D'Amelio's manager. We had him on Light Shed Live, whatever, you know, nine months ago. And he told you at the very beginning, Charlie was basically built 
to excel on TikTok because of her yeah. dance background. Like versus versus just- versus it. I mean, there's like the dance element, but like Instagram is very much about polish, right? Just, they're and just different. They're fundamentally different. Every one of these platforms. Yes, we get it. They're all purpose and p- people are yeah. going to succeed on different. Okay. Things. So now I'm scared. This is our last slide, but I'm a little worried to go to this one because I have no idea what's going to happen now. So okay. we are what unleashing a shit show. So here we go. Go ahead, Brandon. I don't even know what you're going to do. Music during what? During Brandon. Yeah. Should I just no, start no, the no, outro no. music? No, please now? Come, have some oh. respect. <laughs> um, this is from Jimmy Fallon permission to come aboard at board ape yc which is the board ape yacht club so jimmy fallon um bought a board ape nft and you're actually really seeing a lot of celebrities kind of uh, post malone um got one kind of jumping on to or on board as he said tattoos all over its face um to to, to um, buy these apes, which are very limited edition. And what I think is interesting about this and the price of them is it's really it, this idea of investing is starting to become more and more about community than it ever has in the past. And when you buy a board ape to, or you buy a crypto punk, you're now part of a club. And what that club has attributes, I mean, the obvious thing is, yeah, you get to be on their Discord server. But with with Bored Apes, you also get swag. You get to go to IRL events, all sorts of stuff that comes with being that being a member of that, which is really tying this digital asset to identity. And we have AMC up on this um, up here. So sort of um, like billionaires can go hang out with billionaires. Now they just have to have an ape to get into the door, but they still get to but, hang out with each okay, other on their but, yachts. Okay. But what I want to tell you, no, no, because no, these are half a million dollar things. So no, like no, no, no. Now the same they people are. That they, can didn't, have, they didn't. But by the way, they didn't used to be. And the people who bought them early on bought them for a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars, you know, six at months this ago, point, six yeah, months at, ago, at this point, it's become you know, because being part of that club is, is meaningful. It's becoming celebrity, but another company is AMC. And if you think about who the other apes are, right. The AMC investor, a lot of them, because I, as an aside, we're doing some diligence on, um, uh, around web three and there were the, apes, those apes did an NFT drop. And I had to talk to one of them. And the feeling that I really got is a lot of them aren't in it for the money. They're in it also for the community. It's sort of almost like the, um, what was uh, the Wall Street protests that happened years ago? Like whatever Wall Street I mean, when they like, created they the Wall, Occupy the Wall Street didn't move Thanks, them out Mark. Of, a, a yeah, yeah, yeah. Park. Occupy Wall Street. A lot of this is like, like Portland. It, it's like an Occupy Wall Street. And the reason they're buying it, this stock is an expression of A, that opinion, and B, to be part of this ape community. And that's why there's a disconnect between the, you know, the, uh, 
I don't know, the traditional metrics for analyzing a stock here and where you're seeing um, the, this stock actually trade. So just like the board ape needs a greater fool to buy the JPEG, you need a greater fool to buy the stock. No, I just, I just think, run out I just, of those, I just what, think, what kind of, what Rich, kind of I just, wait, or, wait, or, wait, hold on, or, no, no, stop, or is the point that becoming Jimmy Fallon organizing will buy. points for community. That's it. The, the community Fallon by AMC basically sends people nasty messages if you don't agree yeah, with oh, everything. Yeah, there are, there, yes, there are who, not. Who, that same community that is rejecting Mark Cahodes himself. By the way, him nasty messages. Sounds like a great community. Occupy, the tactics of Occupy Wall Street were similarly bananas and shitty. Sure. But I'm just and the point I'm trying today? to make is owning assets as an expression of being part of a community is something that you're going to see a lot more of sure. as Web 3.0 develops. And digital ownership that has in real life benefits. But I'll just say this on AMC, um, and I'm going to have our music start playing. Thank God. Um, because we're running out of time. But just very quickly, the idea that you're going to create a digital dividend um, and the whole purpose of a digital dividend is to squeeze the shorts because you can't, uh, the shorts can't access the digital dividend. And basically trying to figure out a scheme to screw the shorts and disrupt the free markets does not sound like a long-term sustainable plan. So we'll see what happens with AMC, but I, I tend to believe yeah, that- I mean, You um, have to hand it to Cahodes for creativity on this one. Except the fact that I think he owns part of the exchange and this is all sort of with self-interest. Of course, we'll see. but it's very creative. You know what my community is? Philadelphia Eagle fans. I connect on many different levels, no matter where they come from. And you don't need a JPEG to express your love of the Eagles, do you, Walter? Um. No, but I, I take it they want to, if the Eagles want to issue me some whatever this bullshit thing that Brandon just talked about is, um, then sure, I'd take it. I don't know what I'd do with it, but community years when you hug someone for scoring a touchdown, especially against the hated Trump I wish team. we were all together this week hugging, but I'm excited to see you guys on Monday. I will see you on Monday, Brandon. Have a great weekend, everyone. That's episode 81. Let the music play out a little. I just love this sure. song. Can we sing the chorus all together like we did for home? I saw Genesis. I remember seeing Genesis was one of the first concerts I remember seeing at Giant Stadium. Really? Misunderstanding. I think I saw it in high school or college. I can't remember. Bill Collins was quite a drummer. Unfortunately, he can't move anymore. We'll like see literally you guys can't next move? week. Like literally. <laughs>